0: Shall we take the prayer of illumination? Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We take the Old Testament reading in the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, from verse 14. Reading to 20. Zephaniah chapter 3 from verse 14, reading to 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A warrior who gives victory, he will rejoice over you with gladness, he will renew you in his love, he will exult over you with loud singing, as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you, so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home, at that time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Amen.
1: Both of our scriptures on this third Sunday in Advent are lectionary scriptures, and the New Testament scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. John the Baptist said to the crowds that came out to him to be baptized, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation. And be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Three years ago, I showed up at 6 a.m. to the track at St. Christopher's to join in with this workout group for the very first time. It was day 1 of a 5 day a week, 6 week program that you that you enter into this workout group with. And I was dressed with all the right workout clothes. I had on new running shoes. I had my water bottle in hand. I was ready to get in shape. Good workout. I was tired Monday night, so I decided I better go to bed with my workout clothes on to make the Tuesday morning easier. Tuesday morning arrives. I get out of bed. I make it to the workout. Third morning, wearing the workout clothes, I feel muscles I didn't know I had. Seems like a proper day for rest. I sleep. Fourth morning, wearing the workout clothes, I really don't recall the alarm clock going off. And I blamed it on a unique technological glitch that has never happened before or since. But I did go back to sleep. Fifth morning... In the workout clothes, and I am staring at that alarm clock from underneath my warm covers. And I think to myself, you know, in the last three or four months, I've probably worked out all of one or two times. In the last week, I've worked out twice. This is stunning progress. So I went back to sleep. Now, Monday comes around, and this is week two, and I have a little regret weighing on me, because my other classmates, they made it most of the days, and then I'm feeling a little lethargic just from the weekend, And, and, and so week two ends up being this week filled with sleep in my workout clothes. There is something about the human condition that is ever desirous of change, of transformation, even as it is desirous of just not doing anything. Workout clothes, roll right over. Or how did Augustine put it famously in his confessions? Lord, give me chastity and continence, but not yet. In our scripture from Luke 3 this morning, people, they are showing up on the banks of the Jordan to be baptized. Baptism was a sign of renewal, an act that declared to oneself and to God and to others that that we're turning from this evil, this selfishness, this dead end way we have in our life and moving on towards the path of God. People are showing up in droves essentially declaring we're ready to get in shape, to move the muscles that way. You brood of vipers. That's how John starts in with these ready-to-get-in-shape people gathered on the banks. Brood. It's a word that means children or even fruit of vipers, snakes. You may recall in scripture, snake is often a stand-in for Satan, the deceiver in the Garden of Eden. You brood of vipers, you children of Satan. John. Um, these people left all kinds of commitments and works and family to be here for your baptism, your program, your church. These are the good ones. These are the ones who want to change. You might not want to start your sermon with that. Call John a cynic or or, or lacking in the public relations department. But I actually think John's a, a little more honest about the human condition than most. He knows, a lot of us do, get up to go out and get in shape, to change the diet, to turn to God, whatever the cost, we offer our full selves, and we also don't want. change. Not that we often put it that bluntly. I mean nearly every day of those six weeks I wore exercise clothes in the morning. I looked the part. I also began telling myself this little narrative that just sort of creeped in my head over these days and I said you know I once played a lot of sports in high school and so I'm I think I'm generally part of the athletic ethos and I probably have a good bit of the residual fitness from all those hours from years ago. I probably don't need this workout. At least as much as others. And it's funny the way the mind can always help the body go right back to sleep with a clear conscience. Well, John, he calls the bluff right off the bat. Don't begin by saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestors. We're not the Gentiles. We have residual holiness from all of our ancestors and our family name. We don't need this baptism like, my gosh, them. Do not begin to say to yourselves, but we look the part, we're, we're circumcised. Do not begin with justifications about why you're the one who really doesn't need to change, at least, goodness, compared to... John recognizes what Jesus will pick up on his own ministry time and again. It is ever tempting, and most especially for people who've been religious insiders for a little while. It is ever tempting to look the part, to dress the part, to kind of speak the language. And anchor ourselves in this reputation that we're we're the good ones. Goodness, not perfect, far away to go, but, but good, we're the ones showing up for church, we're on the banks of the Jordan. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestors, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Acts at the root unless there is visible new fresh fruit. Not a word about the residual dew from yesterday. John's patience proves quite thin with anyone tiptoeing around transformation in the call of God. He's, He's really quite pointed that the people of God need to pull their act together. They are meant to be preparing a holy way for this Messiah who is coming. Now, I'm not sure how often John's opening for his sermon would have received a hearing, but but perhaps it seems that on this day, on that bank of the Jordan River, the people are just hungry enough for truth, and they hear something that rings of a hard truth in John's message. Because the crowd you heard responds, What then should we do? In light of the fact that maybe we have been wearing the right clothes, but we've been falling back asleep. In light of the fact that God is on the move, God is coming, there is a revolution at hand. They lean in and they ask, what should we do? God surely has some big tasks if this is a moment. Some heavy lifting, some courageous obedience. I remember when I finally started to make it regularly to this workout group. We're doing this exercise where you lift these weights sort of at an angle and, and then kind of out to the side in, in repetition. And, and there's these, these people picking up 10-pound weights in each hand, 15, 20, 25. And so I go, and I figure I'll try to hit the middle somewhere. Am I at 15 or am I at 20? The instructor taps me on the back, has me put them down, and hands me two 3-pound weights. And he's right. I can't actually do the motion repeatedly for a while using the proper muscles, back, not arms, unless it's three pound weights. For those assuming John would roll out some sort of revolutionary workout or some theological exam of the highest caliber that the crowds must do to really hit the moment right, it's three pound weight exhortations. They are so simple. But of course, when it's that kind of weight, the expectation is you can do it on repeat. John looks first at the crowd and replies to their what-should-we-do and hands them their three-pound weight. Well, whoever has two coats must share share one with someone who doesn't have one. Whoever has food must do likewise. You've got two, give one. Eating a meal, give a meal. That's a really concise explication of the Eighth Commandment. Do not steal. Some of you know the Presbyterian Church has the Book of Confessions, and in it we have the larger catechism published in 1647. And at one point it explicates how to honor the Eighth Commandment, which is not only to avoid stealing, but but also invites a proactive faithfulness. What are the duties required of the Eighth Commandment? The catechism asked at one point. How do we honor it? By giving and lending freely, according to our abilities and the necessities of others. Moderation of our affections concerning worldly goods. Endeavoring by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others. As well as our own. That is a theologically rich, beautiful, nuanced way of stating really what John boils down into one simple three pound weight. You've got two coats, give one to someone who doesn't have one. Eating a meal, give one to someone who needs one. Some of you may have heard the story about the filmmaker Tyler Perry last week. He, he paid $434,000 to uh, Walmart in Georgia to cover layaway items for over 1,500 customers at this particular Walmart. This incredibly generous gift that I know others have done those kind of things before. But he's fortunate enough to be in a position to, to offer that kind of abundance. And I, I watched a couple of these scenes as families found this news out. And, and people were weeping for what this would mean for them and their families this season, this Christmas. It was so moving. But the part of the story that really stuck with me the most in many ways was the number of folks who had their layaway paid for and did not say, sweet, more money for more stuff. But actually, if they were in an okay financial place, a number of them, they went, back to the, they went to the Walmart, they got their stuff, and they say, and now I'd like to pay for someone else's layaway. I'd like to pay for two layaways. I'd like to pay for layaways up to this amount. Nobody famous, no front page news, ordinary people echoing something of that have two coats, give one three pound weight. Then the tax collectors, they they chime in and they say, "Uh, what about us? What, What should we do? What's our workout program? I mean, we're sharp with money, finances. Maybe we could seed something that's big. And perhaps John knows that they are indeed sharp with money. Tax collectors were known for doing their calculations so that they could skim a good bit off the top for themselves, which meant they often charged excessively high rates to poor people. The practice strained lives, hungered lives, forced people in the situations where they had to steal to survive, and John responds to the tax collectors, collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Be honest, be fair, don't collect your dues in a way that presses down the poor just so you can gain even more. Now that does raise the question, if one is in a position to collect or receive their income from another and, and you're supposed to collect no more than, quote, the amount prescribed for you, how do you know what the amount prescribed for you is? John doesn't unpack that. Presumably the tax collectors probably had an idea of what that was really supposed to be. But, but the way Luke leaves it open implies that his hearers are called to discern and figure out that answer fairly justly. Within our own context. I attended a session on, on housing in, in uh, Richmond about a week ago. A number of city officials were there. Some housing nonprofit leaders were there. It's a big issue as Richmond continues to grow. It's a popular place. People want to move. That's huge. Boon for the housing market. Creates demand. And real issues of, of displacement emerge. As prices rise and rise rapidly, that can quickly Displace some of the longest-term poorest residents. I think Churchill is probably the most talked-about example of both this remarkable growth, vitalization, also displacement, often along racial lines. And, and perhaps some would say, "Well, you know, that's that's the market. That's how it works." But John makes it clear: if, if you're baptized in the way of God, there is a question to be asked. Well, what is the amount prescribed? I mean, wh- what is a just amount to be collected in a reality where the lowest income and the longest tenured are the ones most likely to be displaced from what has been known as home? C- can we discern a collection that makes for vitalization for everyone? Now that's not... An easy question, but it didn't surprise me that among the housing nonprofit leaders present at this session, each of them at some point in, in discussing why they did what they did shared how their Christian faith informed the fact that they were working actively on sustainable mixed income housing solutions for neighborhoods. Whether it's a product, a wage, a neighborhood, it's a three pound weight at root. Be fair, be just. And now the soldiers, they chime in. They've also come out to the banks of the Jordan. And they ask, and we, what should we do? We, with our armaments, our power, our influence, we can undoubtedly do some heavy lifting to move some things forward. And John says to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Don't use fear and threats to get your way. Don't use false accusations, gossips, half-truths about somebody else to move your thing forward. And be content with what you have. To be sure, this is an exhortation given in a time where the reality of inflation is virtually unknown. John's words are hardly meant to be used against people living below the poverty line or at an unjust wage or a dollar a day. As if the word of the Lord to them is, hey, at least you have a dollar, be content. Now he's talking to soldiers who are justly compensated by the empire for their well-being. They have enough. Be content. That is a simple three pound weight. But how readily our culturally lulls us back to sleep. Spending billions every year on advertising that is meant to keep us just slightly discontent until we have that or have done that. Just slightly discontent until we're like them or make what they make. What's remarkable about these three responses of John is really how basic they are. Share, be fair, be content. Now each response is contextualized to a certain group and their situation and and yet they share one fundamental commonality. Behind each of these exhortations is a call at some level to limit one's own power, one's own authority. Yes, you have the wherewithal to have two coats. I say give one. Limit yourself that you might love your neighbor. Yes, I know, you're able to collect more than would be fair and you'll probably get away with it. Yes, the demand allows you to inflate prices quite a bit, and you gain quite a bit, and yes, the other people are just going to have to dig deeper to figure it out for themselves. Limit yourself to what's fair and what's just so as to love the poor. Yes, you have swords and authorities and, and gossips and way of, ways of bullying to get more of your way, your money. Be content with your wages you receive. Limit yourself to what is just that you might love your neighbor. Ordinary, self-limiting practices so that the good of neighbor is furthered. It is no wonder this particular scripture falls on this third Sunday in Advent, just a week away from Christmas. Because the truth we proclaim this season especially is that the God of the universe gave up all of God's power, God's glory, God's might. Jesus had every prerogative to come with an axe and a winnowing fork as John the Baptist envisioned. And perhaps to John's surprise, Jesus does arrive as Messiah. And he arrives empty-handed. Right, he comes among humanity bound in swaddling cloth in a manger in this small town called Bethlehem. The child of two of a young, poor couple. Utterly limited, utterly poor. Believing this is the way to communicate the most magnificent love of all. Believing this is the way to further the eternal good Of neighbor. And today. He lives. By way of the Holy Spirit. Right in our midst. And as with then. He most frequently arrives in our midst. In the most ordinary mundane moments. Places and people. As in when another does share with us. When another is fair with us. When another treats us. And speaks of us the right way way when another bursts forth with genuine gratitude because truly they are content with all that God has given and similarly his love is gifted to this world by the body of Jesus Christ not so much through those one time heavy lifts that make the news but through the faithful working of 3 pound weights day in and day out. That's why verse 18 reads, so with many other exhortations John proclaimed the good news to the people. These exhortations to share, be fair, be content, their motions in and of themselves communicate, proclaim the good news of a God who limits himself and arrives in the painful ordinary to love. The goal is that in time the Holy Spirit will surely, slowly but surely, habituate the, the body to the simplest gestures of generosity and fairness and justice. And we will eventually be able to hold the open posture without tiring, regardless of the weight given unto us. Because Jesus does want the world to know that He has come and He has judged the world and His judgment is an open embrace right in the midst of sin. His judgment is forgiveness. His judgment is love. Three pound weights on repeat that the world might know the good news of this Jesus who is born in our midst. Let us pray. Lord, we often come seeking to be transformed and also avoiding any change at all. Many mornings we wear the right things and we fall right back, but this morning we ask your Holy Spirit to empower us otherwise. Open our hands and place simple weights. Empower us to give one when we have two. Empower us to be fair and just in our dealings with one another. Empower us to be content and give thanks for all you have given us and all you do give us. Amen.